0: Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org.
1: Well, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible Study, and wherever you're joining in the world. uh, Most welcome, blessings, and may you keep safe. May your families know true peace. Um, we are wrestling with uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians and the wealth of information and teaching that he provides. A, um, uh, I won't say a dysfunctional community, but a community that has um, some issues like all of us, and, uh, and we value his wisdom and his teaching, and we see how much we can learn of that in our community for today. We know that the Lord is present. We know that his spirit is here, and we acknowledge that and to give him honour by praying and, uh, and letting him know that, that, that we delight in his presence. Uh, Brother Mordecai, did you
2: pray? Our dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your opportunity to learn together. And um, we are so grateful for your son and your spirit. Father, you manifested your love by sending your only begotten son into the world that all might live through him. And please pour out your spirit. On us that we may fulfill his commandment to learn and preach the gospel to all people. And please fill us with faith, virtue and knowledge, patience, and love. And please enlighten us, guide us, strengthen us, console us and tell us what we should do. And we promise to submit ourselves to all that you desire of us. And Father, you have promised to hear what we ask in the name of your son. So please accept and fulfill our prayers, which we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Messiah, Amen. Amen.
1: Um, as is our tradition, we read last week's summary. This puts it all into perspective. So last week we got through verses 11 to 24 of uh, chapter 1. Having laid forth a strong denunciation of the false gospel that currently persuades the Galatian communities, Paul orates some autobiographical material not found in any other epistle or writing. At the core of Paul's narration is that the gospel preached by Paul is not Paul's gospel nor his invention. Greek verbs are impassive, in indicating that the gospel message preached is not generated by Paul, leading support to his claim that it is no man-made thing, but rather a divinely authored, supernaturally conveyed mystery. Paul claims divine revelation, and the Greek word here is apocalypse, from the Messiah himself. Note also that Paul addresses the communities in Galatia as brethren, uh, Adelphoi, which is a major theological and social leap for Paul, the Jewish teacher. Judaism, at the time, would only donate the bond of brother, Achim, to someone who was actually Jewish. Paul has now recognized that, through the work of the Messiah, Jews and Gentiles share bonds of faith so deep that this cultural boundary has been removed. Gentiles are now brothers, as much as Jewish people are. For clarity, this does not mean that Jewish people now cease to exist any more than Gentiles cease to exist simply that the boundary issue has been removed. Paul now reflects on his personal history, his testimony, to put it into the modern vernacular. Paul describes himself as a faithful religious Jewish man who had initially set out, contrary to Rabbi Gamliel's teachings, to destroy the New Jesus Movement within Judaism. The reference to his early life in Judaism is not there to denigrate Judaism or the Torah. Rather, it serves to further prove that Paul's preaching of the gospel cannot stem from the teachings of men because his personal actions at the human level were against the gospel in the first place. Something supernatural has occurred to make Paul change his position on the subject. Paul admits to a certain zealousness for the traditions of the elders, traditions of the fathers, sorry. This is juxtaposed against the other reference to zeal in Acts 21.20, where the term zealous for the law, Torah, is noted as something positive. Paul admits to misappropriated zeal, not for the teachings of the Torah, but for the teachings of ancestral traditions. Traditions in and of themselves are not an inherent evil. The very Bible and the canon of Scripture contained therein owes its formation to tradition. Jesus, Jesus follows and makes use of various traditions in the New Testament, such as bruchot, blessings, wine at Passover, and creedal statements, such as the Shema. Creedal statements preserved and defended the faith of the church from Manichism and Arianism. They have had their use in history. Traditions, though, should never outweigh, supersede or replace the instructions that God has presented to us through his word. As with the gospel preached by Paul, he also declares that he did not come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah through the work of men. It was not at the pleasure of men, but at the pleasure of God. Paul presents himself as having been divinely chosen while still in the womb of his mother. In this, Paul shares a similar calling as the prophet Jeremiah, who was also called to be a prophet to the nations, all the Gentiles, whilst in utero. Jeremiah 1:5. It is God's initiative to make the call upon your life even from the womb, but it remains within your free will to answer call jewish exegesis often blends predestination with free will upon receiving this call to preach to the gentiles paul says his immediate response was not to confer with men this unique response should not be used to create the doctrine that it is wrong to hear the gospel through the words of others jesus has instructed us to go into the world and teach not to wait for jesus to do everything Paul says he did not go to Jerusalem to seek the apostles' approval. Instead, he went to Arabia for an undisclosed period of time and then returned to Damascus. This is in stark contrast to the Acts 9 description of Paul's Damascus road encounter, where Paul leaves Damascus via a basket in secret and goes to Jerusalem, a journey in which Arabia is not mentioned at all. It appears that Acts 9 does not record any time lapse between Damascus and Jerusalem. Most likely, due to the absence of Luke as an eyewitness to these events. What exactly encompasses the area known as Arabia is disputed. The king of Arabia at the time was a Nabataean monarch called Eratos IV, who ruled from Petra. He was the father-in-law of King Herod Antipas, who divorced King Erotus' sister to remarry. John the Baptist's beheading is part of this sad story. This incurred Erotus' wrath, and in the ensuing war, King Eratas conquered Damascus. Regardless of how this actually affects Paul, the tradition is that Mount Sinai is in Arabia, and Paul implies that he has learnt the gospel directly from the Messiah himself. His apostleship is then further enhanced through the theological link between the Torah presented to Israel at Sinai and Paul presented the gospel in a similar fashion. Paul's first visit to Jerusalem is then recorded in Galatians 1:18-19 and Acts 9:26-30. three years having gone by according to Paul. Now this might seem like an unusually long time for Paul to have remained in Damascus. Acts implies Paul tried to associate with the community in Jerusalem but received resistance. Galatians ignores the shunning and simply says that Paul managed to meet with only Peter and James. The result is the same in both narratives. Paul cannot remain in Jerusalem and moves back to his home area around Tarsus in Asia Minor, known as Syria and Cilicia. Paul gives no hint as to what he did of what he did then, in, what he then did in this region, but we can assume that he became familiar with the Messiah in the Scriptures. He shared his faith, debated others in the synagogues, and essentially conducted himself as the Paul we know. Of course, Scripture is silent on this, so it's just a tradition. Okay, so that's our little discussion from last week. So now, let's uh, read. Um, we'll read the first. 10 verses, and then if we get any further, we shall read some more, okay? But it kind of breaks up in two, two bits. The first bit is a little bit more um, biography. He continues in his autobiographical bit. He's not particularly writing yet uh, what you might say uh, in the pattern of his normal epistles. That's That's still coming. So Galatians chapter 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we would should go to the Gentiles, they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So that's our little bit that we're going to wrestle with Tonight, So, on an initial literal reading, the Peshat, what is there anything there that jumps out or something there that you noticed or haven't noticed before? Uh, I've said it before, but I am still encountering verses in the Bible that I swear were never there before. That somehow they just wrote them in as I was standing up reading them in church.
3: And the thing for me that is fascinating in this, these few verses is this where Paul keeps saying who they were, but they, God has no partiality for people. And he's like saying it doesn't matter, you know, whoever they regard themselves as or people regard them as, it, it means nothing to me. And it sounds a little sarcastic, but I don't think that's what Paul's implying.
1: Right. Okay, yes, that's, that's a good, good point. It, yeah, you can come across as maybe a bit sarcastic. Or definitely a bit condescending anyway. Con-
3: definitely.
1: Yeah. Does, it, does it, anybody think it's condescending? What's the Greek read, REA? Does it Greek read in a condescending tone?
4: No, but it's it's this, it's interesting that this word appears three times in this passage. It's yeah. dokuntes. Okay. Do, do, do the first two, there are no names attached to it and it actually, they are, it's it's a relatively negative presentation in that they added nothing to him. Yep. He, he But he presented his gospel to those who were considered, in essence, who were esteemed. But then when he gets to the positive side of things, he puts names to it using the same word. It's quite obvious that he's referring to exactly the same people, <laughs> but, but he's being quite, uh, I would say, uh, discreet with regard to their personal honor, in in a possibly at least a neutral or even negative uh, mention. But when it comes to a positive, uh, these men are considered to be pillars of the congregation, and then they're getting the right hand of fellowship and uh call <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Excellent.
0: Is he, is he just quite confident in his position? You guys, is that kind of his take?
4: He absolutely is. Yeah.
0: And what is do we have any history on the right hand of fellowship, Aaron or Arier or you guys? Like, is there do you know anything more about uh, that?
1: It's a term. I don't know what it means really.
4: Like, all, well, all I know is yeah. it's preferable to the left foot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the left foot of fellowship. Yeah, that helps you out the door. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I had a teaching years and years ago when I um from a pastor who told me that 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 they actually Touch the area of the circumcision, like when they were making vows and stuff such, such as that. So I don't know if that's it or not.
1: Uh, I have no idea. I know that there's a, um, some tribes in Papua New Guinea that do that, that uh, some missionaries who would go to Papua New Guinea were very, very um, taken aback by the very, very uh, familiar greeting that people would greet each other uh, when, when, when greeting new people. And it took them a little, um, while to not get offended luckily we don't do that praise the lord and um, i'm very happy to shake anybody's hand
2: well it's normal you know at that time it was normal even avram when he asked his servant to go and uh, find a wife you know he asked him to put his hand under his title or something maybe what jennifer said could be uh, true i don't know yep. quite possible How <laughs> the practice fell out of favor though yeah So I
4: found it
3: interesting. There were false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out.
1: Mm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, I have to say, all very political. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: their freedom in Christ, specifically, eh, Christine? Like, yeah, like you know, they obviously maybe they were just sort of, you know, works oriented in their. You know, response to Christ and didn't know the freedom of the Spirit in a sense, maybe.
3: Well, I, it's just that there were these folks who were sent in to spy on them secretly. It was very, very covert, you
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. And it implied and is- that
4: they've been sent. If you read the parallel account in Acts 15, these, these people are called the, those of the party of the Pharisees.
3: It's very obvious in this that something regarding the circumcision, regarding the law, is actually getting Paul to even question himself to say, "Look, am I preaching in vain? Am I doing something?" If that's what it seems like to me as I read this, because he goes back to James and or goes to James and uh, Peter and asks them just to check that he, this grace we have, this freedom we have, is not contrary to what the actual gospel is.
0: Right. Yeah, and they, and the fact that they did not give in to them for a moment. So you know, in another version, we did not yield submission to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Like it's it's a the gospel was at, at stake here, I guess, in people's understanding. You think?
1: Yeah. In our modern day, um, too many times the church doesn't stand up and hold strong, and uh, we are yeah, we are tossed around like the wind embracing okay. all kinds of um, cultural, I'll put that in inverted commas, truths. And, uh, and it doesn't work. And uh, the gospel very quickly, the good news of the Messiah quickly gets watered down. All right, let's tackle this, the text now. Then after 14 years, verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. Okay, I went up because of a revelation and I said before them, Though privately, before those who were deemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so then after 14 years, and there's this debate that goes, is this uh, 14 years after the three years, or does the three years that he talks about initially also include uh, the 14 years? And you go, oh, my gosh, um, quite a uh, interesting little debate. I'm not particularly worried about it, but it does give you some time that you don't find in Acts. Acts doesn't seem to mention these kinds of these times. In terms of the time, is there anything there? that you might want to comment about. I find it interesting. He spends a lot of time not itinerating. Like you often think of Paul as the itinerant. You read Missionary Journey 1, Missionary Journey 2, Missionary Journey 3, and you just get maps and charts and coloured lines and squiggles all over the um, Mediterranean. But he actually spent quite a bit of time in one place. Interesting, isn't it? Not a lot of us want to do that. And sometimes some of us just want to keep on the move. That time that he had had in Tarsus was quite long. And then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, and he takes two guys with him, Barnabas and Titus. So what do we know about Barnabas?
3: He was a Jew, and el- seemed to be a- an elder than Paul initially. It's Paul seems to take over preeminence.
1: Yes, he's he's um, Barnabas is is Paul's mentor initially that we encounter, and um, he's a Cypriot Levite that we encounter at the beginning of Acts. His, his real name is Joseph. Okay, Barnabas is the name that we have presented here, and it's often uh, translated as you know son of encouragement or something like that. Uh, it depends. It really does depend on how you translate the law. If you if this was in Hebrew. Bar uh, or Aramaic Bar Nabah Nava the, the Nun Bet Aleph uh, Ari. What could that? What word could that be?
4: Well, the root is a uh, prophet, but, but I'm not sure if that's precisely what it means in Aramaic. I assume that it's something like that. It's, yes, it's
1: very similar. Correct in Aramaic and in Hebrew is prophet, and uh, so son of the prophet, and so it, while his first name is actually Yaakov, uh, uh, sorry, Yosef. Okay, which is you know God has added, which was one of the very popular names in the Second Temple period. Barnabas, son of a prophet, in Acts 13, he's actually counted as one of the prophets in Antioch. Acts Acts 13 verse one describes Barnabas as uh, having a prophetic gift, and it could be that that actually is or was one of his one of his roles. Uh, he begins. His uh, adventures in, in relation to Paul as his mentor. He's the one that uh, goes to Tarsus and, and relocates Paul from uh, or Saul, as he was known then, to uh, Antioch. And then he and, and Saul slash Paul, Paul gets his name after he leaves Antioch and ends up on an island after they meet a Roman guy called Pauls. So you wonder where they switch names anyway, and they, and they end up staying in Antioch for like a year and a half in the stream. Okay. Uh, so he takes him along, Jewish guy, Levite. Some other information we know about him, he's got family in Jerusalem, so a half-sister, I think, or a nephew called Mary, I think, and they own a piece of property in Jerusalem and they end up staying there. And then he ends up selling his own piece of property and giving it to the uh, disciples, which when we were studying the Book of Acts, We had an interesting discussion on how did Levites actually own property when in the Torah they're commanded not to. And so the interpretation was they weren't allowed to own property in Israel, but he was allowed to own land in Cyprus. That's based on a very literal reading of the Hebrew in, I think it's Leviticus, where uh, it says Levites are not allowed to own property in the land. Okay. Ah. There you go. Mordecai was just telling me that Barnabas' grave happens to be in Cyprus. Okay, what? So, yeah. Just, I didn't know that. That's interesting. That actually makes sense. That's actually where he, where he came from. Okay, so what do we know about Titus, the other guy we take up to Jerusalem? Greek. Yes. So what are we doing? We're taking one Jewish guy, one Greek guy. Well, isn't that an interesting... Uh, team effort that we're taking out. So where does Titus come from? No one really knows. Um, we actually don't know much about uh, hey. Titus. Yep, we're we not not one hundred percent sure who uh, where he comes from. His primary role in the New Testament is actually just to run money around. That that he doesn't sort of I don't know Paul doesn't sort of say Titus he's a fantastic preacher he's full of the Holy Spirit he's casting out demons it's rather uh, we've got to get this errand and let's let's do that he probably had more jobs than that just unfortunately the only time he's ever mentioned in the te- in the New Testament he, he tends to be um, handing out this task and it's mainly involved in money from Antioch so the tradition is that he actually was one of the community in Antioch where Paul got to know him, liked him. Paul says some very positive things about him in Corinthians, especially in 2 Corinthians. When you get into 2 Corinthians, there's a few chapters there where Paul says, you know, I really appreciate this guy. He's a brother to me. He's like a son to me. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's very faithful. And so he takes in one Jew, one Gentile. Okay? Very interesting thing up to Jerusalem, and this is the second visit, and I think this is the only visits that are mentioned in, uh, in Galatians. All right? That doesn't mean that there weren't more. It just means that at the time of this writing, there had only been two. Which time in Acts is this second journey that he's talking about? First one's in 9. You get, Acts 15. That's what REA says. There's another one, though. What is it? Anyone know? Acts 11. Okay, so have a look at Acts 11. Let's get this one little verse, and REA might be able to give us an explanation on the Greek to see why commentators uh, put that here. So, Acts 11 27. Now in those days, or in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability, and they send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of... Mm -hmm. Barnabas and Saul, well, it doesn't say directly that he went to Jerusalem, okay, it does not, but it does say that there's a revelation, a prophecy, which is hinted to in verse 2. I went up because of what? Because of a revelation. It doesn't say which one. could be his own personal revelation. Could have had a vision from heaven and he's got to go. Um, not 100 percent sure, but it does give an interesting uh, take. Galatians now mentions Titus. Acts does not, as we know. Acts is not always mentioning everything, right? Doesn't certainly doesn't mention any time in Arabia uh, or any time at all, actually, really. And so the debate is is then spread: is this Acts 15, as Aria will will prefer, um, or is this Acts 11, as others? Uh, prefer, tomato, tomato. I mean, knock yourselves out. Although some people can get quite strong in commentaries on their opinions. Okay. So what does it say in the Greek? Does it just say, it just says Judea. Is that right, Aria? Yes. Right. However, I would, I couldn't imagine them taking an offering from Antioch and not going to Jerusalem. Right, um, and this might go, uh, and because because Paul wants to do this privately, so he still might be feeling a little shy from uh, his his time in Acts nine that he wasn't actually well received then. Although he does he does uh, uh, in, uh, talk to people; he doesn't uh, shy away from not talking. He just does so uh, privately, as opposed to in the in standing up in a full community. Not that Paul's shy. Verse two. So I went up because of a revelation. Not hundred percent sure which revelation what is that we're talking about. And I set before them, though privately, for those who were deemed influential. Is this this first word use of the word for for esteemed brothers? Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so he's he's setting before these unnamed guys the gospel that he has been proclaiming among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, why would he say that? So he is not concerned about men. But he is. Or is there something else? Have we not understood what he means by running in vain? What do you guys think?
3: To me, it seems to be it's about the gospel because he just says before that that I was preaching the gospel, which I preached to the Gentiles. And, and to me, it's not that he's worried about people. He's worried that he's going to bring dishonor to the truth. He's not going to be stating the truth exactly as God has ordained it.
1: Okay. So what is he? What is he then doing with these private people that he's having a, t- a talk with? Because in Acts 11, Barnabas and Saul are instructed to take a, an offering to to Jerusalem to assist with this um, famine that's coming, which mm-hmm. they do. And at the end of this passage, they they ask him. They ask him, "Please remember the poor." And he goes, "The very thing I was eager to do. Why?" Because if this is Acts 11, that's why I'm here in the first place. (laughs) You know, please remember the poor. Absolutely. I've got this big load of gold. It's all yours. Yeah, it's interesting what he's doing. I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain
0: for three they're being compelled to be circumcised because of the false believers i guess that are coming into them so it's a big issue right
1: it's it's one of the big issues right it's like in our in our um first session we had to go through some of the big issues that there are separating Jews and Gentiles. One of them is food issues, you know, what you can and can't do with food and plates and bowls and who can eat with who. One is, you know, the Sabbath, and you know, I can't come to your house, I can't help you repair your building, I can't work for you on the Sabbath, got a day of the week. And uh, circumcision, if you want to come and pray with us, well, you kind of have to uh, or want to be one of us, you have to get circumcised. You can still attend a synagogue. God-fearers could, Jewish, non-Jews could certainly go and pray and worship. They just couldn't be classified as Jews. They couldn't, you know, make Aliyah la Torah. They couldn't read from the Bible or, or do things like that. But they could contribute to the synagogue, as you read in the Gospels. Gentiles did, and in Acts, you also find Gentiles, especially very rich, wealthy ones who have donated to, uh, to the Jewish faith. And in the temple itself, at half the, the courtyard, was the courtyard to Gentiles. I mean, why would you need such a big space? Because what, if, at the end of the day, what was, is, it was not past tense, because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, what is the calling of the nation of Israel to the Gentiles? To be a
3: blessing to all nations.
1: To be a blessing to all nations? <laughs> to be a light to the nations. We, Nigeria spoke from the <laughs> I didn't even see you come in there. Uh, yeah. Yes, you're right. Light yeah. to the nations.
2: So he says this, he says in order to show them that he wasn't running in vain. So I think maybe he just wanted to go to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles and, and tell them what he was doing there and what he was doing wasn't in vain, you know?
1: Okay. Because yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is like what does that mean? That the, the is what is what would have what was in vain? Was it just preaching to Gentiles? Was it the message? Was it the result? So, yeah. He was
4: subtracting from Torah. Yeah, maybe.
1: Maybe. Is it, have I done something wrong?
2: Yeah, And maybe the apostles in Jerusalem ask him, like, why like, are you doing this? And maybe that's why. Maybe the apostles in Jerusalem thought it was in vain. You know?
1: Well, Acts 15 Council is going to have a lot of that back and forward. So the issue is not going to go away. Okay?
0: Yeah, so the question is, what is salvation and what is the gospel? That's what he's upholding here in the whole book of, the, of Galatians, right?
1: Well, in the Jewish world, in the late Second Temple period, you could be a Gentile, believe in God, and be saved. Okay, they were called God-fearers. There wasn't, and there hasn't, in the Second Temple period, there was not a, to, be, to actually be able to worship God, you actually had to be circumcised. There was a court of Gentiles in the temple. That would have made no theological sense if there, for any reason for them to be there if, well, it doesn't make any difference because you're not, you're not circumcised. If you wanted to have the same social standing as a Jew, well, then you had to become Jewish. Well, because
2: the circumcision was the symbol of Judaism. Correct.
1: Okay? And as Shimshon said back from my previous question, what is the call of Israel to be a light to the nations? They were meant to reconcile God to the nations. That was their calling because back, God wanted back, to be.
0: You know, back in the Torah, you mean.
1: Correct. God, God didn't just choose a group of Jewish people and say, okay, I'm going I'm to get these Jews. I'm going to get them into the promised land, and I'm not going to care at all about Gentiles. <laughs> they can all go to hell. Because that give that, that makes the book of Jonah no sense whatsoever.
2: Yeah. Okay. I mean, really, there's
1: absolutely no sense. The book of Jonah is. is a fantastic book to read on Yom Kippur because here you have a whole slew of the Gentiles repenting, not offering sacrifices, and being forgiven. And uh, and, and you get prophet, uh, psalms that say, "Hallelujah, Adonai, agon, praise the Lord, all you nations, Gentiles." Well, how are they going to do that if nobody's going to go tell them? And so, this there was this, this idea that you were meant to be lights to the nations, and we can. There's a debate as to how much of a success they actually had, and uh, there's some positives it, and some negatives. Yeah, and you know, um, Aaron, that
5: the Yeshua quoted from a scripture that my house shall be a house of prayer. What he was referring to what Isaiah had said, that it shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And so it's always been there, the nations will come to, to God. The nations will come to know God through the Jewish people. And okay. also, when Paul was um, saying that it, that it might not run in vain, I want to believe that is the concept of reaching out to the Gentiles he was referring to. Um, You know, the Jewish people then, especially in the Second Temple period, they had this concept of, of Gentiles, and um, when Yeshua said, I'm going to go where you cannot come, and they restarted, and they said to him, are you going to go to the Gentiles? You know, yeah. it's they made that kind of comment, and um, even though they have it in their subconsciousness that, yes, Adonai is Adonai for all nations, but they just felt not to mingle with the gentiles especially if coming from the time of israel and all the separation that happened that time you know they really felt it as a shock so i feel, i felt that um, paul is referring to that um going to the gentiles that so that he's not doing the wrong thing
0: could be
1: it could that could possibly be it yep with it within the within the jewish world it wasn't homogenous that is, you know, we're all thinking one thing. They were thinking lots of different things, hence the reason why we've got so many different groups, Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, Hellenists, etc. And there definitely was a group that thought that the Gentiles were so darn unclean, almost beyond hope, so we really shouldn't have too much about them. They're, they're, they're idolaters. Uh, they're greedy. If you, if, you, if you touch them, if you eat their food, if you walk into the house, you'll get contaminated. Um, let's just stay away from them and stay pure. There were others that didn't think like that. How many is one either way? I don't know. Jesus operates in a, in a world where some of them thought Gentiles were pretty bad. But there were others that um, were actually quite active in missionizing Gentiles because Jesus actually does meet them and make comments about them as well, that you cross land and sea to make converts. And, and we find uh, these God-fearers floating around. And so it could be that his is what is vain? Is Gentile ministry vain? Is there a point, right? Uh, what does this one say? Christine Scott in the ESV study Bible says, Paul is not seriously imagining that he has actually been preaching a false God, but he would regard his work in vain if it resulted in a divided church. Okay, yep, that could be it. It could Can be I- that he, he's worried about. The boundary issue is right? like, um, you know, in the Messiah, does the boundary issue stop? Can Jews and Gentiles now have fellowship? Uh, don't call something unclean. God has made clean.
6: Yeah. yeah.
1: And, uh, and so God says, no, 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 in the Messiah, uh, I make all things new. And that includes uh, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Maybe Paul was going, oh, my gosh, it's not that my message might be wrong. It's just that. My hope was that we would actually have a united community, you know, uh, and maybe we're not going to get it. Maybe, maybe I'm going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to go into a meeting and I'm going to walk out and go, oh, my gosh, we're going to have Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other, and the never the twain shall meet. You know, that, that, that wall of separation, as Paul says in Ephesians, that he's, that's been torn down in the Messiah, isn't going to get torn down. Maybe, maybe that was his fear.
3: Could you just correct me if I'm wrong? Doesn't Paul use this exact same expression in, in case I had run in vain for another issue that he has? And if, I'm, if I recollect correctly, it's to do with him um, chastising his body so that he also does what he's telling people to do.
1: Uh, good question. Okay, guys, out to the community. Anyone familiar with the, uh, uh, another expression of run in vain? You know, I did not look that up to see if there was one.
0: Yeah, there's a verse like that, Vita, for sure. Okay. But I don't know the original Greek area.
1: Uh, It's Kinos, isn't it? Or Kinon or something like that. uh, Uh, Yeah,
4: I think it's in Philippians.
1: Oh, yeah? I think. Okay, well, if anybody wants to do a little little word search for us. Okay, so...
2: Aaron, Paul didn't want the Gentiles to have to proselytize. And if... Uh, His work might have been in vain if he ended up having to proselytise the Gentiles. Okay, yep,
1: yep, that's one, yep.
2: Yep. What do you mean by
0: that, guys?
1: It's very similar to what um, Shimshon said, that um, for for Gentiles to come into the real faith fully as equal standing Jews, they have to to become Jews. (laughs) They can't remain as Gentiles.
3: It's Philippians 2, verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as light in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I offer upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with all. This is another place. I I can't find the one I was thinking of. But he seems to use that expression running in vain quite often.
1: Okay. He does, yeah. So maybe it's around. Yeah, maybe around. Right, but you were thinking of one where he was actually mortalizing his flesh, is that right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Okay.
1: And then sort of connecting that to circumcision, was that what you were thinking?
3: Somehow he had to always practice what he preached. Right. And, and maybe he was saying we've got this freedom and then maybe he was noticing that more and more of his congregants were becoming wanting to be circumcised. Right. And then maybe he was, he was like concerned that either we have this freedom or we don't. And so maybe he was getting a little unsure about that.
1: So how unsure do you think he would be if he's just spent three years or 18 months or however long it is on Mount Sinai with Jesus? you think he'd be pretty darn sure. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, 10, 11, gives a little bit of his uh, insecurity, I think, you know. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly, abundantly that they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in, with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. I like the good. way you
1: say that he's showing a bit of his insecurity. Yeah, he keeps constantly referencing the things he's done in the past. Isn't that interesting, you know?
0: He but must doesn't... have a guilty conscience for killing people. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's pretty big, right? And now you're going to become one of them oh, the people yeah. you kill. Like it's pretty intense, right?
1: Yeah, it's pretty intense.
0: Yeah.
1: Definitely granted, very intense.
0: But in all
3: things, here we can see, even if it's just been 14 years, Paul's still a young Christian, per se. And do you not think that as he's walking in his life with the Lord, you get people that come in and then you suddenly start questioning yourself? I mean, I think yourselves as preachers, you know, face that often. You get people that come into and they give you such a convincing argument that you have to really, you, you become a bit unsure within yourself. Exactly. I mean, normally you take it to the Lord.
1: Yeah. Well, what usually happens is you preach a sermon, and then you wake up in the morning, and you get all these emails saying, "What the heck? You can't say that is a verse that proves you wrong, heathen." And you think, "Oh my gosh, why am I bothering?" <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's pretty. It's pretty pretty bad. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it is, it, I always find that interesting. Here's Paul that in, in chapter one is part of his disclosure. You know, my gospel is not from man; it's from the Lord. And then you get to chapter two. I better go check with men see if I'm doing okay. Like what? What happened here? What? What? 14 years and you went crazy? Um, it. 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 It's it, it, trying to always trying to wrestle with. What actually is the thing he's worried about? What's what's the, the problem? And it could be ESV guys were worried about a divided church, a divided community, which is Rocky said, which is exactly what we've got. Yeah, we, which is a bit sad. And and maybe that's maybe that's as simple as that. But also maybe he is also wrestling with this idea again of, well, may, you know, did I get it wrong? Have I hurt? Well, was I actually sitting under the sun? I'm not I'm not sure that that's true because he's hanging out with a prophet for crying out loud. He's got Barnabas with him, and and he's pretty confident I think because he's shown up to Jerusalem with a Jew and a Gentile in tow. <laughs> I mean, he's, that's a pretty bold statement just there in the, in the visual uh, visual aid imagery of his message. Look, what I bring it with me, okay, and uh, and I pray with these guys. You know, we're doing great. So.
6: But I, it's interesting I'm, I'm always constantly checking you know from what, you know what, what's been passed on and what's you know tradition and what's you know searching out and, and, and uh, if the doctrine is from man, if it's from God, for me it's been a, a progress continually to um, to you know be a like a berean and, and, and search it out and get it right
1: yeah. Okay, so verse uh, 3 Titus, uh, Titus, okay, um, this guy who has appeared, Luke doesn't mention in Acts because probably hasn't, hasn't met him. He was w- who was with him was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Okay, I'm not quite sure why you would want to uh, do that, but that was the issue at stake, right? What that was the, the even though he was Greek. There were some who perhaps wanted to, but Paul says, I went to Jerusalem, and you know what? He wasn't even forced, okay? And so uh, the the, uh, the community in Jerusalem, uh, is, uh, his trip to Jerusalem backs him up. Now, in our modern day, there are or has been, uh, well, in the modern day, let's go back a couple hundred years, there was a, a strong uh, circumcision among Christians. I can tell you, that when I grew up in Australia, kids were circumcised. That's just what you did. They did it to everybody. Okay. Um, circumcision. U.S.
0: too, in the United yeah, States
1: as well. And so and it's um,
0: yeah <laughs> for hygienic reasons. Was it or something? Didn't they have a reason like that?
1: To be honest, I can't exactly tell you the reason why.
0: Some people thought so. I'm wondering yes, if
6: there's like a large Jewish community in the United States. Could that have been? And also, I know um, some of our friends that were doctors, of course, they say, you know, with circumcision, with the bacteria and all that, it's just
1: yeah. physical. It's getting less now. Now it's becoming truly only a, uh, a um, religious reason. I mean, there's nothing that says Gentiles need to. There's nothing that says Gentiles can't. I mean, like if you want to circumcise your kid, okay. If you want to do it for hygiene reasons, great, not a problem. Um, and, and so there's, there's people do it for all kinds of different reasons. But here, at the time that we're talking about, 2,000 years ago in Galatia, it definitely was a theological reason and a boundary marker and an identity marker with a, uh, with a race,
4: it was a it still is a very dangerous operation for an adult to go through. Um so you would think there was a lot of opposition from the Greeks to not go through with that. And probably why Paul was pushing not to. But I I say Abraham was 99 years old and his whole troop got cut. And I don't hear of anybody Dying at that time from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, I, I think only one in my 22 years here in Israel, I think I've only known of one baby who, um, who, who died. Uh, it can happen though, it is very rare. But yeah, I don't, I don't imagine there are many men wanting to willingly do such a thing just for fun. You definitely had a faith conviction attached to it. Okay. So the issue is going to be circumcision, or one of the issues is going to be circumcision for the Gentiles. And so verse 4, and here's this verse that I hadn't noticed before, and somebody else also as well. Yet because of false brothers that were secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. Okay. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, those are some interesting statements there. Okay, um, in Acts 15, if this is not Acts 11, if this is Acts 15, then these people are identified uh, as the party of the Pharisees. Okay, uh, if if these are even if it's not Acts 15, even if it is Acts 11, it doesn't matter. They're still the same type of people. It's still the 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 pharisaic party okay paul doesn't call them that here in fact paul doesn't even call them the party of the pharisees in luke luke uh, in acts luke's writing here they're just called the false brethren okay and so what do you think he means by false brother
0: Galatians three twenty three goes on, right? Because the book is all about this, if we can jump ahead a bit. Before the coming of this faith in Christ, right, which he's experienced, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know, and then the clincher, verse 2, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, getting back to that other point about being one and stuff. But if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Like, it must have been a head trip for these guys that thought, I have to be born in Abraham's seed to be acceptable to God or to be God's chosen people, right?
2: I think he refers to Yad (laughs)
4: Lachim. So yeah.
6: <laughs> the anti-missionary
4: group. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah,
1: yeah. He calls them the false brothers. He still calls them brothers, but they they are false. What does oh, it say yeah. in the Greek, Aria?
4: False brothers. I'm sure that Paul means that they did not have the spirit. <laughs> is the boundary condition here the book of acts says they believe but it says that also about the samaritan before they were baptized and, re- and received the holy spirit so the, the belief does not necessarily absolutely denote a brother for paul unity in christ is the unity of the spirit mm-hmm.
6: even demons believe
4: Correct. Even
1: demons believe. And as we've been discussing during the season of Pentecost, for those that follow the uh, liturgical calendar and listen to the church sermons, we've been preaching through Ephesians, which is um, what is the work of the Spirit is to bring unity, to bring all into unity. And unity isn't one, two, three, everybody, you know, think like me. Uh, unity is also a behaviour. It's not just everyone having... The right doctrine, and suddenly we all become Anabaptists. Okay, that's not what it means. It's not it's a unity, isn't a breakdown of denominations per se. Okay, but there's definitely a false brother, and it's definitely got to do with uh, I think what well, Ari has nailed it there's something about the spirit. But these guys were secretly brought in, so it's not that they were publicly part of the, of the thing in Acts 15, they are right. They do. They do publicly challenge. They have their say, and Paul and Peter have their say, and then there's a discussion. Um, so I'm not 100 percent convinced that it's Acts 15. Oh, Are yeah, yes. I'm. I'm more more along the lines that, that this is actually more referring to Acts 11.
6: But isn't um, so. it interesting, Aaron, That in in every in every in every generation, you have that. In every, you know, it's. Uh, uh, ours is we're the we're the we have the truth <laughs> or you know, it's it's amazing how in every generation and every even denomination, it's just a little scary sometimes
0: yeah. it it's a powerful concept, you guys it flies in the face even of even of North America, like the whole thing like like you know that verse in like three twenty eight that you know it's not gender, you know, so there's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's like, it's not Jew or Gentile. It's not slave or free. Like it's not societal position. It's not, you know, geographical, geopolitical, you know. Yeah. It's not, nat- it's, it's, yeah, actually, exactly. Right, those but, things still God. exist,
1: but in relation to your standing before the Lord, they do not so but it's if like, you
0: are, yeah, if you belong to Christ, you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's correct. no division. Yes,
1: and then we all belong, and yet at the so we can all celebrate our unity, and at the very same time, we can still Pardon. celebrate our differences. Diversity. Being males and females, Jews and Gentiles rich for Australians Luther- and kings, things like that.
6: Lutherans know? and Presbyterians. Yeah. Well, well,
1: let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, okay? <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, yes, we, exactly, exactly. And that is a, is a delight and a joy, you know. Um, I have to admit that growing up in Australia, in, and I grew up in a small village, so not many people, I grew up with a TV that had one channel, one, okay? Half the time it was in color, which was a blessing. But it meant that I grew up with a world that I did not make contact with. And I can tell you that, you know, Baptists weren't going to heaven. Right? That was the way it is. It was only our little church of like about right. 120 people. Okay, We were it. We were the, you know, when the Bible was talking about the remnant, that was us living on the beaches of Australia. We were the remnant. And then Look, I left Australia and I went to a Pentecostal church and I went, oh, my gosh, have I got this wrong. Exactly. Uh, I, I didn't agree with everything that people were saying, but I met a bunch of brothers and sisters whom I just, it, I so enjoyed the fellowship, the, the teaching, the exposure to, to new material and resources, uh, looking at how the the... The the kingdom of heaven had just literally advanced around the world. So, uh, Sharon, based on what, Aaron, Acts 11 or Acts 15? Ah, okay. Well, that's actually a bigger discussion. It it works like this. Paul says at the beginning of Chapter 2, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is his second visit. Acts 11 doesn't say he went to Jerusalem. It says he went to Judea with money given to the poor. If he didn't go to Jerusalem, you'd have to ask why he didn't. Uh, Acts 15 tends to be, seems to be a bit more public than some of this private stuff. It's a, it's a public debate. The party of the Pharisees are present. And they are making their case. They have yet to be convinced. And uh, Paul here is saying, no, these brothers come in secretly and I've been doing stuff privately. So it tends to look like he's, he's had, in my view, but I could be 100% wrong, that Acts 9, he's gone to Jerusalem, he's been a bit shunned, hasn't quite worked, still a bit tepid, a bit sheepish, he, he, but, but the big, big push comes in Acts 15 when we've really got to sort this out. Not only that, because later on, as we're going to see, some men from, from, from James appear. You're like, what? what? Where did that come from? Um, because we thought we dealt with this. From James in front of his face, and by the way, I'm holding his encyclical that depends you can, you can go either way it's not a problem um, it's uh it's just in my my calendar idea i would i would I tend to think this is uh, acts eleven is the is the uh, second encounter in Jerusalem he doesn't mention a third because he actually hasn't had done it yet thanks that uh, Galatians being his first written text anyway that's in a, a nutshell. So Paul doesn't give in. And I would wish that many people in our day would do the same. Uh, unfortunately, many of our shepherds do not stand up for the truth anymore. And look what's happened. Five hundred years ago, somebody asked the Pope, you know, got asked the Pope stuff. He's pretty wise. They asked him what's the why is the world full of evil and violence and you know all that kind of stuff. Do you know what his answer was? Lukewarm Catholics. That was his answer, and I thought I've thought about that and thought, yep. You know, what's the well? What, you know, why why does evil flourish? Because good men do nothing. You know, what does God hate in Revelation? Sitting on the fence. I don't like lukewarm people. I will vomit you out. You know, why 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 does the world not have the gospel? Lukewarm Christians. We're not on fire. we don't have that passion that the Spirit's supposed to give us with the energy and the enthusiasm and the drive and the gifts, go out there and, and really make a change. So, the, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why is Paul doing all this? What's one reason? Why did he defend into the truth? For the Galatians. He's a shepherd. Shepherds need to defend their sheep. So if you, are, if you have a Keila, then you need to pr- produce the truth. Our brother Moti, for those that, that uh, would like, you know, he, he has a study on Mondays. We get to re- uh, wrestle with, through the PRK vault with him. We get to hear of his adventures uh, amongst the Turks and amongst the uh, Germans. He's having more success amongst the Turks, which is great, but he's got to tell the truth. Yeah, as those, uh, he's, got to, he's got to shepherd them, he's got to uh, care for them, but he's got to stand up and give the truth. And for those that want to follow along, please do. Please come on um, on Monday and, and get his uh, newsletter. It's a, a lot of fun. And from these, from those, verse 6 now, who seem to be influential, second time, not named, um, what they were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. It does seem a little flippant or condescending, um, perhaps, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. So this is an interesting phrase, okay? So they were the, the esteem. They didn't add any extra information. Why would they not add? Because where did he get his revelation from?
0: Jesus himself.
1: Yeah. yeah. Pretty, hard, pretty hard to supersede that one. On the contrary.
0: He's confident. he's confident
1: not. He's confident. He's no. confident that he's, not, that he's not running in vain. He's confident that we're not going to end up with two churches, although that's what we did. He's confident that, you know, the boundaries can be crossed, and it's fine. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given me, they give him the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and myself. Skip Titus, but, um, and then they get the commission to go to the Gentiles. It's a little bit of information about Peter, which we don't have. Peter doesn't give us a nice um, biography about himself or his adventures. In anything, okay? We get a little bit in Acts, not much. And in fact, what was one of Peter's big events? It was his Acts 10 mission to Gentiles. I always find that funny, you know? It's Caesarea. Yeah, Caesarea, okay? And it's, I always find that very interesting. You go, uh, Peter, he's going to go to the, to the, to the, um. the circumcised it's like okay but what's he doing hanging out in uh, caesarea then why is god giving him visions um why does it seem he also shows up to corinthians
0: Mm.
1: you know it um we don't 100 know the different stories between um paul and peter but um uh we, we have more biographic material about peter but very little about about paul however if anybody wants to find out the traditions about peter then just Google hagiography, um, the acts of Peter and Andrew, and you'll get a um, uh, an apocryphal source. Well, she's not apocryphal because they know who wrote it. Um, Lucius, a, probably a colourful history about Andrew and, and, and Peter. It's where we get the tradition that uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Okay. It's from an account of Lucius who apparently was a, Second century um, believer and uh, wrote it down. I'm not sure where he gets his information from. Okay, so if if Paul's mission is to go to the Gentiles, um, what do you find in Acts then?
3: He always goes to the Jews first.
1: Yeah. So uh, it's 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 even though we have a mission, okay, that they say okay. We understand, Paul. You're doing a fantastic work amongst the Gentiles. We all believe Gentiles can believe in the Messiah. It's fantastic. Um, we commission you to keep doing your job. Great. Where's the nearest synagogue? Um,
3: but doesn't the Bible clearly say always to, you know, to the Jew first, then the Gentiles? Jesus also yeah. says that to the Jew first, then the Gentiles.
6: So there seems to be a principle. No, he yeah, he always goes. To, he says my mission is to the ten last tribes of Israel. He always. It's exactly what Vida said. He, it's it's same thing, same principle. Paul, yeah. always first to the Jew and then to the Gentile.
0: Yeah, and then yeah, and then Paul's expanding it. You know, like in Romans ten, he's saying, "For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." So now it's a bridging of something that was never bridged before, right? Like it's a new way of thinking, isn't it? Yeah,
1: wasn't it? Sir? It, yes, it was. It was always there in the the, the scriptures in the Tanakh. So it's. We got to remember that um, it's yeah, not the
0: principles in the Old Testament, but Jesus clearly came just to the Jews. Jesus. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. And Paul is expanding it, and like you get, you know, you see the maps of Christianity yeah. like 300 AD, and it's just like, oh, like there's, you know, Christianity pockets all over. On you know, you know what I'm saying? When the, when the dias,
2: whatever. You yeah, call but it. As, as Aaron said, I mean, it always was there, but. I think maybe they didn't understand or maybe they did understand but just didn't like that idea. They kept it for themselves. But Saul, Rabbi Saul, is the uh, biggest, uh, you know, figures in history that understood the message and mission of Torah of the Torah.
1: Right. And, um, and so we, we know that the gospel goes to Egypt, but Paul doesn't. So uh who took the gospel to the egyptians they're not they're not all jews it was apparently mark so it it is it it's paul is talking about himself here he's not he doesn't mention any other commission to anybody else and you know that thomas goes to india they're not jews well some of them are now um but uh <laughs> uh, uh but you know what i mean it it's the, uh, well
0: in Acts eight, yeah, in Acts eight, everybody like the believers got spread out, wasn't it? Acts eight correct.
1: And um and and the the mission to the Gentiles in uh Antioch actually isn't started by Saul, by Paul. Remember, it's started by unnamed people from Cyprus. Yeah. There's that obscure verse in Acts, and you go, Oh my gosh. And there. then and then Barnabas grabs Paul and they, or back then he's still called Saul, Shaul. They bring him to Antioch to be able to, to to care for them. So you got a Jewish component and a Gentile component, and they're scratching their heads, going, "Gee, who's are we going to use to do this?" And they go, "I got a perfect guy. The guy speaks Hebrew, guy speaks Greek, guy knows everything, um, and he, and he's had a personal revelation on Mount Sinai. He's hot to trot, and, uh, and 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 they do a really good. That's what they end up finding in Antioch." And, um, and Antioch becomes the hotbed of the sending agency. Jerusalem's not sending nothing, right? It's um, Antioch. And not only that, when Jerusalem's in trouble, Antioch sends the money back, okay? They send right. the money to Jerusalem and, uh, and off they go.
0: It's all part of God's bigger plan that it seems like, you know, because there was a hardening until the full number of the Gentiles come in, you know, that verse that concept that, you know, to make the Jews jealous, there's another verse that to make you and like here, you know, that I will make you envious by those by those who are not a nation, I will make you angry by and Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who did not seek me, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me.
1: Yeah, those are yeah. prophets. Yeah. But concerning those those...
0: Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So there seems to be a yeah, a deep thing going on in a bigger, you know, bigger spectrum. Yeah.
5: If I can add this, that um um I believe almost all the apostles were involved in um taking the gospel out. Um there isn't too much records about them, like Paul reaching out, but when you look at the book of Revelation, you find out that um the seven Ecclesia that's been talked about are uh, places that Paul um, and John himself must have visited. Um, I'm trying to remember the, one of the names that keep on coming. Laodicea. Laodicea. And, um, yeah, yeah. On all those places, you see that um, if John has a very good relationship with the Ecclesia there, the leadership there. And um, most people believe that he kind of um, groomed those leadership. In those places, it was kind of their, their rabbi, yeah. And so you will see that um, a lot of records were not kept about how the other apostles um, have gone around with the gospel.
1: That's right. They Initially, remember, we were having a discussion. We've got all these apostles, and, all, and they selected a new one. So why does Jesus need to, to choose Paul? We had to had this discussion because they're still in Jerusalem when they were supposed to be going out. They haven't. But they end up all going out anyway, eventually. So it does happen. It doesn't happen as fast as perhaps it was initially planned. In verse 9. Oh, um, before
3: you get to verse 9, can I just ask one question on verse 7? Sure. Uh, I've been pondering this for a number of maybe a year or so, and I'd be very fascinated of your views. It says here they see, they Verse 7, by contrast, when they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision committed to me and the gospel of the circumcision to Paul. If you jump to Romans 3.30, I'm just going to read from 29. It says, he's the God, is he the God of the Jews only? He's also the God of the Gentiles. Yes, the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. So I see there's a, this link to this, the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. And that kind of links it to what we just read here, the gospel of the Gentiles and the gospel of the, you know, the Jews. It's not that there's another gospel. I absolutely yeah. know that. But yep. there's, a, there's something very unique being said here. And I'd be fascinated of the, your views of the Greeks, especially on the Roman side, by faith and through faith.
0: Okay,
1: I'll have to appeal to Greek scholars, um, but you've definitely piqued my interest. I've got that down over uh, down in terms of looking it up. Um, RA, do you notice anything in the Greek? Is there any nuance
4: or not? no? It's an interesting question. It's for the uh, circumcised and diapistios for the uh, circumcised. It could perhaps suggest that. Um, the circumcised already believe and he's perhaps saying or out of the midst of faith. Uh, whereas the uncircumcised are coming into faith for the first time. I don't I don't know that for sure, but yeah. I'm pretty sure that the mechanism for them being set right is the same here as being expressed. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's
4: interesting.
6: And Yeshua had a heart for the nation. Yeah, I was just going to say, Yeshua had a heart for the, the nation. I mean, he went to his own people, but then, of course, he was up in the Galilee of the Gentiles. So, it, you know, he was he was doing in a microcosm of what the what the disciples will do on a macro level within the within the old, within Israel.
1: Okay. Uh, looking at the question there for Sharon, what is the verse again? It's Galatians two seven. What we're looking at is two different Greek words. I mean, they're not that different, but they are different in re- when, when relating the gospel to the uncircumcised and the gospel to the circumcised. And what does that mean? What does that imply? If it implies anything. But let's also remember, why is there a different word?
3: Do you think, because what we have kind of come to with this at the moment, is do you think it's the way they portray the, the gospel, the way they portray it to gentiles is very different to the way you portray it to a jewish person as aria says you the jews already have this knowledge of god they have a deep foundation so is it that you're presenting the same gospel in different ways
1: could be that that could be that could be that could be as simply as that it could be that when you're talking to somebody who already believes in god you don't have to convince them god exists Right? It's, it's, you know, giving the gospel to an atheist is very different
4: than giving the gospel to, say, a Muslim. Yes? Yeah. God always starts with the gospel of where we are at and leads us on. I mean, think Paul at uh, the Areopagus in Athens. That's the only sermon we have of his that wasn't given in a second, and had gone it's totally different. He starts with the Greek philosophers.
1: Yes, like he would never walk into a synagogue and, you know, pull out Isaiah scroll and then start quoting Greek philosophers that sort of sit there and go, what the heck happened to you, man? Read this text in front of you. <laughs> you know, don't quote me Socrates or Plato's Republic. We don't know it. anything.
0: <laughs> it's just two different callings, right? So Peter is called to the Jews and, and Paul's called to the Gentiles. We are in all different places.
1: Yes, and isn't it interesting that even though one's called to Jews, one called to Gentiles, they
0: go to both anyway. Yeah, and it's yeah, the same gospel. They, they,
5: they, they did both. They did both because it's the same gospel, but like um, we, we've said, it's the presentation. Uh, you're not going to present it the same way you present it to a Jew. The Jew have grown, he's been trained in it, he's grown in it, he understood it, he, he's been practicing it. And so you need to open his eyes to see that all you've been doing is talking about Yeshua. But you're talking to a Gentile, he has no foundation. You have to build everything from him. you have to go to the genesis of everything. So it's the same gospel, but um, just like Ari said, God starts with you where you are, and then you, from there you grow.
1: Shem Sean, I agree hundred percent. So whenever I'm speaking to an Israeli Jewish audience, the only issue, the majority of the time, is Yeshua.
4: The promised Mashiach That's the issue Is this guy Yeshua, Jesus 2000 years ago, is he the Messiah Of Israel that was promised If they're not Jews um, Or they don't believe in God Then it's a completely different teaching Yeah
1: Yeah.
4: I'm just trying to break it down a little bit easier What you say, I agree with you 100% I'm just saying that's that's the issue With Jews who believe in God Is Yeshua Yeshua Excellent, good stuff for
1: example. Okay, in verse 9, it gives you the three names. These are our pillars of influence, okay? Uh, James, Yaakov, okay, Cephas. Now, why do they call him that when they've called him Peter previously? I, I don't know, but it is the same guy, right? And John.
4: We're talking about Paul, the Hebrew, son of a Hebrew. He likes Cephas, Oh,
1: he yeah. <laughs> he prefers that, that name. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, but he'll have a Roman name for himself.
4: Only on his birth certificate and only when he really needed it. <laughs>
1: Paulus, Paulus is
4: Latin. That was his Roman oh, yeah. citizenship right. name from birth. Oh, really? It wouldn't have been Shaul? No. Okay. His name was Shaul. His Roman birth certificate and citizenship said Paulus. So whenever he was standing before various procurators or other people that had the power to whip or crucify him, he, he became Paulus. One last question before we wrap it up.
1: What do you guys make of verse nines? They perceived the grace that was given to me. What do you, what do you guys think of that? Uh, what do you think he means by that, or something that was perceived, perceivable, something that was had the potential to actually be seen?
4: I could see, okay. hear, and
1: feel the Holy Spirit. Okay, see, feel, hear the Holy Spirit.
2: Shimshon.
5: Yeah, you see, Paul was already um, somebody that was sending fear to the ecclesia. Didn't believe that he truly converted. And um, in fact, they tried to assassinate him um, in some places because of the things he has done before. I mean, he's coming to a congregation where he was responsible for the death of some members of that church, you know. They are not going to be very excited to have him. But, um, and they were afraid of him. That they were feeling that he was trying to deceive them so that he can rope them together and, you know, take them out. But all of a sudden, the apostles see him and they extend the hand of fellowship. They could recognize the spirit in him. They could recognize that this was a genuine conversion. They were not afraid that um, this man was out to kill them. That was what Paul was referring to.
1: All right, cool. Anybody else?
6: Yeah, I was actually thinking um, that they recognized that Paul was actually doing what the Jewish people were supposed to be doing as in being a light to the nations. He was actually going out there and they could see the fruit of his labor.
1: Yep. So they would perceive that. Yeah, that he was actually doing uh, what the Tanakh had uh, told them to do as a people. Now he was doing it. Yep. Okay. Great.
4: Not only doing it, but having been empowered and powerfully empowered by God. This this grace or chalutin also can be a specific gifting, and this okay. has been testified in Paul's ministry. This is one of the other reasons I believe this is the Acts fifteen scenario. Because there is a backlog of evidence of what Paul has done, including his very mission to Galatia that he, in fact, is trying to uh, fix in this letter here. Paul already had uh, widespread and far-flung evidence of his gifting from God for the ministry that he was performing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so grace can be a spiritual gifting. What's the Greek word that they're using? Haris. Charis. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Okay, so he gets, it is it, perceivable, this uh, fruit of the spirit, this power of the spirit, this gift of the spirit. It's perceivable. It's something that they, they, they can see. And, uh, and they're no longer afraid of him, as they have, as Shimshon says. And they give him the right hand of fellowship also to Barnabas, We presume also to Titus, although it is not mentioned. And I can't imagine that if it wasn't, that uh, Paul would have taken that down lightly. And, uh, and so they get their commissioning. We'll go to the Gentiles. They'll go to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, and we'll all get the work done. Uh, all they have to do is remember the poor, right? There's this one piece of tzedakah, okay, the uh, the idea of looking after the poor um, of Jerusalem. He who lends to the poor lends to the Lord. It's a proverb. It's a very big in through late second Temple period Jewish tradition that you, that you take care of the poor uh, and also in the New Testament. And uh, Paul, being very Jewish, very happy to do such a thing. Whether this is Acts 11 or Acts 15, he's already been commissioned to give money to the poor. All right. Okay, guys, thank you very much for, uh, we'll, we'll call it there, is an hour and a half of study? Aaron,
6: there's, a question. there's a question in the chat.
1: Oh, what is
3: it? My, my question is, in all with, that we've, anyways, I've read, right? It's always Paul saying that I have been given the ministry to the Gentiles. Is there any other reference other than the Lord telling him or Paul stating it himself that he has been called to the Gentiles versus the other apostles or someone else validating it or telling him that's, that's where you go?
1: Well, verse nine just says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they recognize the calling. They agree now whether they do a ceremony like a laying on hands or a commissioning service or something. We don't know. From nine, it's definitely clear that that uh, that the that Jerusalem recognizes Paul's
4: calling. How's that? And all the churches that are, that are built. And then they take his letters and they put them into a canon, so yeah. somebody's recognizing with a continuity of history that this guy Shaul Paul has great authority. And we've got good evidence from the rest of the New Testament that that even those these very same apostles were avidly reading Paul's letters yeah. and, grudging, yeah. and, and grudgingly agreeing.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. Even if in a state of confusion, <laughs> Peter sorted it out and so did James. Yeah. It's not a stupid question. It's a misleading question that people put out there um, that, that haven't done any type of studying. And, and when you just read it carte blanche, the Bible, then you don't see it there. But we have a continuity of history throughout a couple hundred years of Paul's authority. Right. I think we're all saying the same thing.
3: Right, not not questioning his authority. I was just, you know, sometimes you you, you have this question like, point me to that moment. And that was really where I was coming from.
0: Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube, Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King